Well, don't ask me what in the world that video had to do with anything. Uh, we just saw it this week and thought it was hilarious, and we had to share it with you. So there you go. Um, before we jump into the message today, got a couple quick announcements for you. Some of you are asking about the uh, Legacy Breakfast from last week's announcement, so I wanted to, to put the details up again. Our Legacy Dream Team is going to meet this Saturday at 7.30 a.m. right here in the cafe. Legacy Dream Team is a dream team for people who have the spiritual gift of giving or people who think they might have that gift. You can come and check out and talk to other people who know they have the gift and, and figure out whether that's a gift that kind of fits your uh, uh, dream team preference. And so that's this week. Again, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. Every morning, uh, this place is just filled with people, Monday to Friday, 6.30 to 7.30 a.m., and then Saturdays at 9 a.m. And I can't encourage you enough to come and join us this week, even if you can only stay for five minutes, even if you don't even know how to pray or, or, or you don't really even know what to do, just come and sit. The lights will be low. The music will be loud. You'll be completely on your own. You don't have to feel any pressure where there's going to be a spotlight on you, and you're going to have to hold a microphone or anything like that. It's a very easygoing prayer meeting, but a very powerful, powerful time of just being in a room full of people seeking God together. And I want to encourage you, we have personal prayer guides available. Uh, They're available today, but they're also available every morning at prayer. One of the goals of this series of prayer is to teach you how to pray. And I think a lot of people would pray if they knew how. Like if they had tools, if they had the plan, if it, it, you know, it's not that we're against prayer. I think a lot of us just don't really know how to do it. And so we've created these guides with you in mind to, to, to help you figure it out. There's different uh, prayer guides in here, prayer outlines of how you can have some of the most meaningful times of prayer, uh, spiritual warfare prayers in here, prayer pages, prayer, uh, there's just all sorts of resources in here. So I want to encourage you, if you can't come to 21 Days of Prayer here, Pick up one of these and pray from your home. They're available outside at the information table. It's just a powerful resource for you in your prayer. And we have a a lot of things that we're praying for right now as a church. One of the things is the Connect Group launched this fall. We're rebranding Connect Groups. We're getting rid of the name Small Groups, and we're just going with Connect Groups because Connect Groups captures the essence of what we're trying to do better. We're trying to to clean up all of our language around here because I feel like this fall, there's going to be a lot of new people in our church, and we want to make our language as easy as possible for people to get involved and understand what's going on. And we don't want to kind of build our own language where outsiders don't really, you know, have any clue what's going on. We just want to make it as easy as possible. So connect groups are launching. We have training at 11 o'clock today. So if you can, if you're interested in leading a connect group and let me take all the fear. Some people are like, well, I can't lead a connect group because I don't know how to teach the Bible and I don't know how to pray for people. Leading a connect group, this is how easy it is. The, the number one responsibility is just helping people take one step closer to Jesus. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You can be a surfer and lead a connect group. We have a surf small group. We've got, uh, you know, if you like watching Monday night football, you can lead a connect group because there's guys in the church that like watching Monday night football. And that can be your connect group. And, and during the game, during the commercials, you have a chance to encourage one another and open up about marriage and parenting and areas of your life and help people take that step step closer to Jesus. We had some guys this week who who came to me and they're starting a softball uh, connect group 
and it's going to be co-ed. They're going to, they, they want to build an A team, a B team, a C team. They're having tryouts. They want to have a tryouts down in the field one Sunday, you know, just to see everyone's skills. And it's, it's going to be a blast. I'm going to be on one of the teams, probably the C team. I don't know how much playing time I'll actually get, but I will be there cheering for the C team. And it's just going to be a great time, co-ed softball. And, and we're, we're just going to have a lot of fun this fall semester uh, running Connect Groups. I'm going to be teaching a class Thursday night at 6 p.m on connect group leadership. So if you're thinking about it or you want to be a connect group leader, or maybe you're not quite sure, but you want to come figure out what's all involved, join Thursday night at six or stay over at 11. And Josh, our associate pastor is going to be teaching one. One of the other things we're praying about that I'm excited to announce this morning is uh, many of you have gotten to know Pastor Ken Hubbard, one of our overseers that's been with us for the last few months. And he's been in town. He taught on Roots a couple weeks ago, and he's doing the Roots Bible study. And his heart for years has been to, to plant a church in the Seattle area area. And he went up earlier this year to kind of check it out and, and, and see what God was saying to him. And he just didn't feel like it was the right time or the right strategy. And he came back because he just loves this church and the vision. And we began to pray over the last couple of weeks and talk about it. And he has really felt God oppress upon his heart. And then our elders met this week and we confirmed it in our spirit that he wants to take the vision of this church and plant in Seattle and launch the Coastline Seattle campus of our church. And we are so excited about this partnership. So I told you that, that hopefully this year we'll have the Coastline Baja campus on Sundays. Now we'll have a Coastline Seattle campus in 2016 and, and Coastline Carlsbad. So you're going to have a lot of options on Sunday of where you can go to church. Uh, it's just going to be great. So he's taking the vision. He's leaving this week to start the groundwork. You know, planning a church, there's months and months and months of just groundwork that you have to do before you ever launch a Sunday. So he's leaving this week. We're praying for him. And then when we get ready to launch the Sunday services, he'll come back and we'll have a time of celebration, praying over him, have him speak. It'll just be a great time. So keep him in prayer as he begins just the, the very beginning groundwork for seeing Coastline Seattle become a reality. And then can you put the newsletter slide up, guys? I really want to encourage you to sign up for the newsletter. There's a couple more things that I, that I want to share today, and I just don't have time to share with you. And so I'm going to be writing an email this week. I want to make sure everybody gets the email. We've got an upcoming worship night I want to tell you about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about 21 days of prayer and my heart for it and why it's so valuable to us as a church. And so I want to encourage you to, if you're not already receiving the newsletter, to sign up for the newsletter because I'm going to send an email out uh, Monday or Tuesday of this week. And there's just some other things that I want to share with you from my heart uh, just about the season we're going into that I just don't have time to do on Sunday. So encourage you to check that out. Let's jump into the series. I want to invite you to pull out your message notes. Uh, the goal goal of this series, Closer, it's all about worship. And the reason I want to teach about worship is because I think a lot of us have the wrong idea about what worship is. We think like the 18 minutes of music at the beginning of church, that's worship. Now, that's a part of worship, but worship is much, much bigger than just the music in church. It's, it's bigger than all that. Last week, we began with the concept of we all worship something. Whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, everybody worships something. There, there, there is something in your life that has your attention, 
that has your focus, that gets energy, time, and schedule from you. It could be golf, it could be surfing, it could be career. There's something in your life that you worship. And let me say, God doesn't mind that you have things in your life that you love. He just has issue when you put those things above where he's supposed to be in your life. He doesn't mind you surfing and golfing. He just doesn't want those things to ever take first place in your heart. So the best definition of worship I can give you is worship is simply our response to what we value most. How do we respond to those things that are just most important to us, to what we value most? So what, what I want to do is, is if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to listen to last week's very foundational for the series. It's on our website or our iTunes podcast. Today, we're going to go deep. It's going to be a little bit heavy. It's going to be theological. You know, it's, it's the foundation. So for those of you that like deep theology, you're absolutely going to love today. If you don't like it deep, come back next week. It's going to be very, very practical. We're going to talk about how all this stuff works in our daily life. But today, we're going to go deep for a few minutes and... I think it's going to be really, really good. And we're going to start with this question. Who was the first worshiper? Who was the first worshiper? And, and, and here's another thought. Why is that question important? Like, like, why does that question matter at all to us? Well, in the Bible, one of the things we learned in Bible school is the purest teaching of something in the Bible is the first mention of it. It's called the law of first mention. It's just when you, if you want to know the purest teaching on, on whatever issue you're talking about, go to the very first time it was taught in the Bible, and it gives you some powerful, powerful insight uh, from the law of first mention. And so the first worshiper in the Bible, when you study it out, you discover that the archangel Lucifer was the first worshiper in the Bible. Now, there were three archangels that were mentioned by name in the Bible, only three. Let me, let me review them with you quickly. The first archangel mentioned by name in the Bible was Michael. Michael was kind of like the bouncer of heaven. He was always in a fight. He was the one that answers prayer. Like when you pray, Michael's the one that battles it out in the heavenly to bring the answered prayer. Like when Daniel prayed, Michael said, you know, listen, I had to fight the, you know, the demon prince of Persia for 21 days to get this answer to you. So Michael, he's kind of the warrior. He's all about prayer. Then you have Gabriel. Gabriel kind of represents the word. He, he delivers messages for God. You see Gabriel in the Christmas story. He comes to Mary and he gives Mary the message that you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a child. You'll call him Jesus. So Gabriel kind of represents the word. Lucifer in scripture represents worship. He was the first worshiper. He was over worship in heaven. And I personally believe this is the way heaven is divided, a third on prayer, a third on the word, and a third on worship. Because in the book of Revelations, when it says, Lucifer, Satan fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him. Which, just on a side note, means that we still have them outnumbered two to one. Which So you don't have to worry, it's just that, that was for free. But I feel like... this. This is what our life should look like. We should have a balance of prayer, a balance of the word, and a balance of worship in our devotions, in our church, just kind of in our daily life, worship. So what I want to do is I want to take you to the first mention of Lucifer in the Bible. And we're going to kind of look at Lucifer as the first worshiper. As we're learning uh, about worship in the series on worship, we're going to dig in and look at Lucifer and kind of the origin and who he is and all of that as the first worshiper in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, let me give you some context here. If you study the beginning of the chapter, you find out that this prophecy, this is God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. 
And, and this prophecy is directed to the king of Babylon. So some people say, well, he wasn't really talking about Satan. He was talking about, you know, the king of Babylon. Well, one of the things you'll see in scripture is oftentimes the Bible will direct something at a human being or a person, but in actuality, it's speaking to the spirit behind the person. For example, one day Peter put his foot in his mouth with Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter, speaking to Peter, says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was speaking to the spirit behind Peter. So that's what we see here. It's directed to the king of Babylon, but in actuality, speaking to the spirit behind, which was Lucifer. And you see it here in the first verse, how you are fallen from heaven. Well, there you go. The king of Babylon wasn't in heaven. So it's obviously not talking about an actual person, but the spirit behind, which was Lucifer. O shining star, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. Now, many theologians and scholars believe that this happened between Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2. That's that's when Satan was kicked out of heaven was between the first two verses in the Bible. Because you read verse 2, it says the earth became uh, voidless and, and was without form. Now, why did the earth become void and without form? Because Satan was thrown down to the earth. That's why God gets back involved in verse 3 and says, let there be light and brings order back to the earth. And it makes a lot of sense when you study in context of this verse. For you have said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven. And set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and I will be light. And look how he addresses God, the most high. You see, he's bitter because God was most high and he wanted to be most high. He wanted to take the place of God. He didn't want God to get all the worship and all the glory. He wanted worship and he wanted glory. And that's still his goal today. That was the temptation of Christ. Fall down and worship me. This is the reason why you've got to be very, very, very careful about what you worship and what gets your worship because you can inadvertently be helping Satan's goal on earth by, by, by replacing the worship of God with the worship of other things. Let me show you one other verse in uh, chapter 14. It says, your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the sound of your stringed instruments. Now, now, does that mean that Satan had a harp? No. What theologians and scholars believe is that Satan actually had stringed instruments in his being. Like in his very body, in his very essence, who he was. He wasn't, he didn't have instruments. He was an instrument. Like there was an instrument in the design of his very nature. Now, now file that because we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Let me take you to another place in scripture where it, where it describes Lucifer, the fallen angel. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 28. It says, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, we know that the Satan, the serpent tempted Eve. And, and that's, that's what it's talking about here. Lucifer, every precious stone adorned you. Now I want you to, to file that to the end of the message, because we're going to come back to these precious stones at the end of the message. So just kind of put that on hold and we'll bring that out later. Adorned you. So, so God basically decorated them with these precious stones, carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. Now, 
I want to show you this verse in the Old King James. For those of you new to the Bible, we don't have the Bible in its original language. We have an English translation of the Bible. The the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew, and so we have English translations, and, and each translation is slightly different. They all say and mean the same thing, but different translations sometimes pull out different nuances better than others. And and the old King James translates this, I think, much more accurately to the ancient Hebrew. It says, the workmanship of thy timbrels and thy pipes was prepared in thee. So we read earlier that Satan had stringed instruments that were part of his being. Now we read that he also has timbrels, which is, is like a tambourine. It's, it's kind of a percussion instrument and pipes in his being. So we have Satan with stringed instruments, timbrels and pipes woven into the very essence of who he was. Now, let me just give you a quick music lesson, and I'm not a music person. I don't even play the radio well, but, you know, I study this out for you to help you today. All, all instruments are divided into three categories. You've got string instruments. That's kind of what you pluck, like a guitar, banjo. Uh, even a piano has strings in it. It's kind of a combination instrument. You've got percussion instruments. That's anything you bang, drums, uh, uh, t- uh, tambourine, cymbals. And then you have wind instruments, organs, uh, flutes, horns, saxophone. So you've got three different types of instruments. Lucifer had all three in his being. Like God designed his very essence with all three of those, which is powerful. So we're going to come back to that in a moment. So just, again, file that with you. Goes on to say, you were anointed. You were anointed. Let me say music is anointed. Music is powerful. Music shapes you. It defines you. Anytime culture wants to set an agenda, it uses music to create an agenda. Music is very, very powerful. That's why you've got to be careful what you listen to because music has power. It's anointed. It shapes you. In 1980, when Ozzy Osbourne came out with the single Suicide Solution, suicide went up 400% in our country that year. Why? Because music moves people. It's powerful. It affects people. It changes people. And you don't need me to tell you what you can and can't listen to. You, you don't need a holy Aaron. You've got a holy spirit. That's not my job. I'm simply here to say, you've got to be very careful what you allow to shape yourself, what you allow to move you, because music is anointed. It is powerful. We see that throughout culture. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade trade this simply means he traded the place of god for something else god deserved all the worship god deserved to be number one and he traded out god for other things and again that's still his goal that's why you've got to be very very careful that you're not just a sunday christian you got to be very very careful that you're not just going through the motions and and actually trading the place of God for something else that, that's more important to you in the week and, and just kind of being here because you want God on the list, but you're not giving God the, the right place on the list because you've traded the number one spot for something else. 
Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. I threw you to earth and I made a spectacle of you before kings. Jesus talked about that. Jesus, you know, was recounting a story to the disciples and he said, yeah, yeah, I remember when dad threw Satan out. Let me tell you, when dad, when dad took care of business, it was like lightning. It wasn't like, you know, some of you got this warped idea that God and the devil are like two superpowers battling it out, like, you know, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. No, 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 no. When God decided to handle business, it happened like lightning. And when he, when he got, I mean, if you made a move of this fight, it'd last about a millisecond. That's how long the movie would be because, because God, when it was like, it was like light, he just, boom, he was gone. And let me just give you a couple definitions. The word Satan that you hear oftentimes to describe Lucifer, Lucifer was his name in the Bible. Satan is actually a Hebrew word. It's not an English word. It's a Hebrew word that we've adopted. It's like if we stopped saying water and started saying agua uh, for water, that, that's kind of what this, it's just a Hebrew word that means adversary. And, and we've given this word to Satan, the word adversary. And then in the Greek, you have the word diabolos, which it's, ancestor is devil. So devil is actually a Greek word. Satan is actually a Hebrew word, both referring to Lucifer. Devil means opposer. Satan means adversary, both given to Lucifer. But Lucifer was his name in scripture. So just a little trivia for you. So now we have this position that's vacant in heaven. We have a worship leader who gets fired. He gets thrown out of heaven. We've got this unemployed cherub and we've got a vacancy on God's staff for worship. So here's the question. Who is the new worship leader? Who's the new worship leader? Satan got fired. The answer is you. The answer is me. Who did God create to replace Satan? Who did God create to be the new worship leader of heaven? He created you and he created I. We were made for worship. That's why we as human beings all worship. See, do you realize that everything God created Lucifer with, he also created inside of you? Like we have the ability for music. That's why we have people in our culture who, who, who are anointed for music and we turn them into stars and we turn them into idols and, and, and hundreds of thousands of people worship them because we have the ability of music in our being. God gave Lucifer's job to lead in worship to you and to I. And I know some of you are thinking, well, no, 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 I'm not a music guy. I'm a numbers guy. Like, like I, I do business. I, you know, you don't want me to sing. No, all of us were designed for worship. Think about it. We all have stringed instruments in our body. You've got two strings in your throat called vocal cords that when they work, they make sound. Now you can sing. Some of us can make a joyful sound to God. Some of us make a joyful noise. Like, like I make noise. I don't make you know, music. I make noise. But nonetheless, I can worship God with my noise. I've got the, these stringed instruments in my throat. I have a wind instrument, my lungs. When my lungs combine with my vocal cords, I can shout. I can yell. I can declare the praises of God. I can sing to God. I can make the noise that, that I make. What about percussion instruments right here? God designed us with, per- I mean, we can stomp, we can clap, we have, we literally have wind instruments, we have string instruments, and we have percussion instruments designed into our very essence of who we are, because we are the replacement for Lucifer. 
So here's the thought. What does it mean then that I was made for worship? If God designed me, God created me for worship, what does that mean? What does that look like? What, what is that all about? Let me give you three truths to help you understand this today. First off, God made me from him. God made me as a human being from himself. Now, let me explain this. When you study the creation account in the book of Genesis, you will find that God created some things and God made some things. There were created things and there were made things. Let let me explain the difference. A created thing is when God creates something out of nothing. Like God says, let there be light and there was light. God says, let there be, and and there was. God is the only one with creative ability. You and I have never created anything because we don't have the ability to create something out of nothing. Only God has the ability to create something out of nothing. Other things were made, which means God made it from something else. Let me show you this in scripture, Genesis 1.11. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Let, Let the earth produce trees. Why didn't God said, let there be trees? And and, and there could have been trees. Instead, God used the earth to produce vegetation, trees, plants. God, God, God made trees out of something else. Now, let me help you understand why God does this. God, whenever God makes something out of something else, he does it because he intends the, the made thing to have relationship with that which it was made from. In other words, earth create trees. Tree, we want you to stay connected to the earth because you are, you are made by the earth. You will be sustained by the earth. One day you will die and you go back to the earth. If you ever see a tree get disconnected from the earth, the tree will die because the tree cannot sustain itself outside of earth. It was made from earth and has to be sustained by the earth. This is an important principle. When God made woman, he made woman out of the rib of a man. He made woman out of a man. Why? Because God wanted there to be a special relationship between men and women. He wanted there to be a special connection. That's why God created marriage. Did you realize marriage is one of three human institutions that were not created by mankind, but was actually created by God himself? God God made marriage because he wanted there to be a relationship between one man and one woman because he made it for that very reason. That's how God designed it. So the question is, were man, were we as human beings, were we created, let there be man, or were we made? Genesis one twenty six. then God said, let us make, make human beings in our image. Or in other words, let us make man from ourself. We're going to create man out of our self. So in other words, we were made from God. So we will be sustained by God, and when we die, we go back to God. Now, I know some people are thinking, well, no, 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 no. Doesn't the Bible say we were made out of the dust of the ground? Yes, your physical body was made out of dust, and your physical body will return to dust. But the spirit part of you, which is the part that lives on forever and will receive a new body one day in heaven, the spirit part of you was made from God. And you will only be sustained by God. And any time you get disconnected from that which you were made, you become like the tree disconnected from the earth, you die. 
And that's what we see today is a lot of people disconnected from that which they were made. And, and they're the walking dead. They're spiritually dead. They're just, they're just empty on the inside because we were created to be in relationship from that which we were made. This is so important because th- th- this helps us understand that God wants relationship with us. See, we were designed by God to be close to him. God doesn't want some formal religion. He wants intimate relationship. And this sets up number two, because we were made from him, which means anything made from something else, God did it that way so that it would have a special relationship with from that which it came. So here's number two, God made me to be with him. He made me from him so that I would be with him. God designed it this way. He designed me for relationship. And one of my pet peeves is there's too many people today that have a formal relationship with God. They have a religion. They don't have a relationship. They're just going through the motions. They're giving God lip service. They they, they come to church on Sunday because they feel like they have to, and they got check it off the list, but there's no closeness to God at all. And Jesus gives us a very, very, very scary piece of scripture in Matthew chapter 7, talking about people who have that formal relationship. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to make it to heaven. There's a lot of people that are going to get to heaven and and they're going to be very surprised that they're not getting in. Because they had church attendance. They had a formal relationship. They prayed before they, they, they ate because they felt like it was the right thing to do. They didn't pray because they were talking to their father. They just prayed because, you know, I got to pray before I eat. They had a very formal. And Jesus says, I never knew you away from me. And this word know in the Greek is the Greek word gnosko, which means intimate relationship. It's not, it's not the Greek word ido, which means to perceive with physical eyesight. He's not saying, I don't know who you are. He's saying, I've never been intimate with you. Like, like, yeah, you may have showed up to church and, and you went through the motions and, and, and you had that formal relationship, but we never knew each other away from me. See, this, this is frightening to think about. God is saying, I don't need your church attendance. I want you. And if there's any message of our church, it's simply this. God doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your father. God's not looking for religion. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He's not looking for people who go through the motions because that's what we feel like we have to do. He wants to know you. And Paul gives us the most extreme example of this in Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, As the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. We're talking about the wedding ceremony. We're talking about marriage. We're talking about probably the intimate relationship that two human beings can have, the most intimate. I can't think of another relationship on earth as intimate as husband and wife in the marriage ceremony. He says, he's joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. Now look at, look at this, look at how extreme this is. So I don't think we understand how extreme this is, but it is an illustration. It's an example. I'm using the wedding ceremony to illustrate the relationship that we want to have with you, that my father wants to have with you. I'm, I'm using marriage to describe to you what your relationship with God should look like. I mean, do you, do you, do you feel how extreme this is? God's not looking for your formal 
routine and your religious repetition and ceremony with you. God's saying, I want the type of relationship with you that is illustrated by a healthy marriage, that is illustrated by a husband and wife coming together in joy and excitement and intimacy. That's what I want with you. This is so powerful. This is so amazing. That's what he wants. And we've, we, we all got these warped ideas of heaven. Like, 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 like you know, you know and, and mess, it messes with our religion on earth because we think, you know, heaven is like we're white and we're wearing robes and floating in clouds and playing harps for all of eternity. And, and, and you know, we're going to have to like, holy God, holy, you are so holy. And that, that's what it's going to be like for the next million years. Do you realize God doesn't need that? He, he actually has right now, there's an angel in heaven and his entire job in heaven is just to sit before God and say, holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy. And that's what he does forever. And God's hardly sitting there like, yeah, I mean, wonderful. But it's like God doesn't need that from us. Do you, do, you, do you know what happens when you go to heaven? The first thing that happens when you go to heaven is there's going to be a wedding ceremony where we as the bride of Christ are going to be united with them and then we're having a party. There's going to be food. There's going to be celebration. It's going to be amazing. And that's what happens first. That's why Paul is saying the, the, the greatest example, the greatest illustration I can give you for what your faith should look like is an intimate relationship between husband and wife. Let, let me show you this in Revelations. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks, we're doing our end times message. So this is kind of precursor. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me. Now, I know some of you men, this this makes you a little nervous because you don't want to look at yourself this way. But I want you to see the way God looks at you. I want you to see, you know, he's showing you this to show you the type of relationship he wants to have with you. Come with me and I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb talking about us. He's talking about us. He's talking about one day when when those of us who are believers, those of us who are his followers, those of us that are in close relationship with him, we're going to be united with him one day in heaven. This is so powerful. And, and then watch what he does. He, 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 God is so excited. He's like any husband who just got his wife, you know, like some nice jewelry and the husband just can't wait to open it up. And it's just like, the, 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 this is what God is right now. He's just so excited. He's, he's been working on this city for us. He's been working and he's decorated and he's designed it. And he's just so excited to show it off to us. It says, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Do you remember we filed that from earlier? What did God give the first worship leader? All sorts of precious stones. So what does God now do with those stones? He gives gives them to his new worship leader. See, he's so excited to present this to us. We're the new worship leaders. He's been working on this for, 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 for thousands of years. He's excited. He can't wait to show it off to you. Like one day you're going to be there and you're going to see all of this and you're going to be a part of this. And God's just like, he's just an excited husband. Like, like, look what I made for you. Look, look at this. This is awesome. I'm giving you all the precious stones. First foundation was jasper, second sapphire, third agate, fourth emerald, fifth onyx, sixth ruby, seventh chrysolite, eighth beryl, ninth topaz, tenth turquoise, eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. This is so powerful. God never wanted you to be a Sunday Christian. He's not looking for people to check something off the list and go through the motions. He's looking for a bride, which brings me to the third point. First, God made you from him. 
Second, God made you to be with him. Third, God made me to express love to him. That's what he's looking for. He just wants you to love him back. That's all God wants. He's not looking for someone to, you know, follow a bunch of rules in this religious system. And this. He just is looking for people to love him back. It's that simple. He's just looking for people to love him. You have free will to love him back. And I'm going to show you a verse right now that's shocking. This, when, when, you, when you see what this means, this is so shocking. This is Jesus. Jesus says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, that's what we want to be. We don't want to be the false worshipers. We don't want to be the people that are just going through the motions. We want to be the true worshipers. That's the goal. That's the goal of this series. Get you close to him so you can become a true worshiper. The true worshipers will worship. Now, this word worship is a man-made word. That's not the real word. That's a, that's a man-made word that was created for the English language to describe the actual word in which the, the, the translators probably were too scared to use the actual word because it's going to offend some of you, and i show it to you in a minute. I don't even want to show you the word. I'm going to do it in a little while because it's going to make some of you mad. And, and so I understand why they created the word worship. I mean, they just created a word to soften it or, or, or kind of you know, make it easier for us to, to handle. But this is, a, this is a man-made word that was created for the English language. So... The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now look at this. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for. God's looking for those worshipers. God's looking for people who will worship him in this way. And this word worship, that the, 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 the man-made creator word worship comes from the Greek word proskuneo. So the, so the original word in the Greek is proskuneo. That's the word Jesus, the father is looking for true worshipers and a true worshiper is somebody who proskuneo, the father. That, that's what he's looking for. And I don't even want to tell you what this word means because you're not going to like it, I promise you. I mean, it, it, it's tough, you know, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm delaying myself right now. But let me just say this about it. This word means you can't internalize it. You can't internalize worship to the father. Like, like some of us, you know, sit in church. Well, he knows, he knows what I'm feeling in my heart. That's not the word. You don't internalize this word. This is an external word. This, the, 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 word the word actually is a verb. It, it's actually a verb, and it means to externalize. You, you can't, well, 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 I worship God in my heart. No, you can't worship God in your heart. That's not the true worshipers. That's not the kind the Father's looking for. The Father's looking for a specific kind of worshiper. He's looking for proskuneo, which means you cannot internalize it, but it's something you express outwardly. And again, I'm hesitating because, I mean, you're not going to like this. I mean, I'm t- especially some of you men are not going to like this at all because of what God's looking for. But here, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. There you go. That's the word right there. That's, that's what the actual Greek word means to kiss. Yeah, I know. I know some of you, I knew exactly the reaction. You're like, what in the world did Jesus lose his lid? I mean, it's like, what is Jesus talking about? To kiss? What does that mean? Now, now let me explain this to you. We're not talking about the kiss of lovers. It's, it's not the kiss of a boyfriend and girlfriend making out. The actual Greek word here, proskuneo, the kiss, is, it's describing a dog licking his master's hand. That's what the word is. It's like when you come home from a long day at work and your dog is just so excited, he's just like spinning in circles and running around, and he jumps up, he's like licking your hand and licking your face. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the father's looking for. That's what a true worshiper is. Somebody who's like so excited about God and so excited. Let me just lick your hand a little bit and just, just, I mean, I mean, think about it. 
cats don't do that. You don't own a cat. Cats own you. I mean, dogs, they just like, it's like, you, you can be gone for a week. You come home, dogs don't hold resentment. They're not bitter. They don't get any, they're just excited to see you. I mean, they're just, they can't wait to see their master. They just lick them all over the place. They just like, oh, I mean, that's just, I, I heard a terrible joke from a comedian recently that, that kind of illustrates this. I probably shouldn't say this in church, but, but you know, just to illustrate the point. Um, the comedian said, if you want to find out who loves you more, your dog or your wife, lock them both in a trunk for an hour, come back and see who's excited to see you. I know, bad, bad, bad joke. Terrible, I know, I know, terrible. Think about this for a moment. Jesus could have used any Greek word he wanted to describe how we are to worship the Father. He had a whole vocabulary at his disposal. He could have chosen any word he wanted to choose. But he intentionally chose the word proskuneo to describe how we are to respond to the Father. That's what he's looking for. Those are the true worshipers. Those are the kind the Father is looking for. People that are excited and expressive. It's not, you know, not people holding it in their heart. It's people who are expressing it. Expressing it. That's what he's looking for. So can I just say, stop treating him like some faceless, distant being that you've got to serve and begrudgingly give your life to. Again, God doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your father. He's looking for relationships. Paul says that the best illustration I can give you for the type of relationship God wants to have with you is marriage. A healthy marriage of a husband and wife who who deeply love each other. That's what God, that looks a lot different than religion, doesn't it? And it's all throughout scripture. God is interested in relationship. So let's worship him the way he deserves to be worshiped. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Before we leave today, I want to give anyone here an opportunity that needs to make a decision to to just put Jesus first, to, to invite God to be a part of your life. And what you've heard today is God doesn't want to be a religion. He's not looking for, you know, servants and slaves. He's looking for children who can be family with him. And he wants to be close to you. The God who created the universe. I mean, think about that. The God who created the universe the God who created the solar system, the God who created planet Earth and everything in it, that God with all that power and all that might and all that that just supernatural ability wants to be close to you. That's powerful to think about. That he he doesn't just want to be close to you. He wants to be intimately close to you, like in real relationship where he's talking to you and you're talking to him and responding and you're excited about him and expressive for him so i want to give you a chance to just take the first step today whatever that first step looks like for some of you the first step could be you need to realign your life because you've allowed god to slip down the list like like maybe there was a point in your life where god was at the top of your list or or maybe god's just kind of always fluctuate maybe he's like between two and six like like somewhere between two and six some days he's four sometimes he's two some days he's six like he just kind of bounces up and down your list and it's time for you to really make a decision to put him number one on your list and then maybe you're here today and god's never been on your list he's never even crossed your mind 
and somebody invited you and, and you've now heard that, that it's not about religion. It's about relationship and I'm gonna give you that chance. So wherever you're at, you have to assess your list. If God's not number one on your list or not on your list at all, I wanna pray with you. A very simple prayer, you can pray it in your heart. You don't have to stand up or walk to the front, but it's just a simple prayer to invite God to take number one place in your life. So with no one looking around, if you want to say a simple prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand so I know who's joining me this morning? Just, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else that'd like to join me? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else that'd like to join me? Thank you. I appreciate all those hands. The prayer is very simple. In your heart, you can just kind of pray these words. Jesus, I invite you to be first place in my life. I want to be close to you. Jesus, I receive your love for me. Will you forgive me for any area of my life that I've missed it? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. You can look up for a moment. If you prayed with me today, there's two boxes on your connection card that that prayer would reflect. One box says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. Whatever prayer you prayed today, we'd like to know about it so we can pray for you. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make and we wanna cover it spiritually. Just pray God's blessing over you. Pray God's blessing over that decision. You'll also get just a very simple email from us that gives you some next steps of what it looks like to live with Jesus, number one on your list. So I encourage you to check the box that applies. You drop it off as you leave today. Would you stand with me? As we close in prayer again, I want to invite you to join me this week, 6.30 in the morning. We're going to be praying in this room. It's just a powerful time. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, let us leave today and really take this Greek word proskuneo and meditate on it. What does it really mean to worship you? What does it mean to be a true worshiper, the kind that you're looking for? And let us just be honest in whether or not our life reflects that word proskuneo. If that, do we treat you that way, God? Is, is that the way we see you? Is that the way we treat you? Is that the relationship we have with you? And if it's not, God, help us realign that relationship to where it needs to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great week, everybody.